everyone. You're listening to Midwest is Best. I'm Hannah. I'm Megan. I'm Alyssa. In this episode, Alyssa covers famous whistle pigs and creates a content ID nightmare. Megan invites you down to the Sugar Shack, and Hannah suggests some new springtime holidays. Oh no, I didn't know that. <gasps> Garrett! Yeah. So this can this episode be in memoriam to Garrett the Goat? Is it... Yes. Not that it he was like, I love groundhogs. <laughs> or <laughs> anyone but Kevin. So You know, he Wait, loved Kevin's dad. Oh. So there are two people. Have we started the episode? Did I miss that? I don't know. We're gonna use okay. it. We're gonna leave it to Hannah's best judgment. I had to run as it seemed like maybe we were starting, and now I've just decided to put a leash on Frederick to keep him near me. Oh. Uh, for the listeners at home, Frederick is Alyssa's dog, not a child, <laughs> or a, or a man that she's holding against his will. I will be talking about a fictional man later. Mysterious. Yes, it is so that strange. It's not like it's rare that fictional people exist. That's been happening for thousands of years. Speaking of thousands of years, that has nothing to do with the topic I'm going to bring up next. Alyssa! <laughs> yes, you, Megan? Are you ready for spring? Uh, are you ready for rodents? I am de- uh, No. Aren't groundhogs rodents? Um, yeah. uh, we're talking about signs of spring today. The one that I'll be talking about uh, dates back quite a bit. All the way back, we could talk about its origins in Europe, even. Uh, no one cares If about anyone Europe. is familiar. Really? What? Pretty sure Europe cares <laughs> about Europe. Megan said that no one else interrupted enough, so I'm on it. Oh, okay. Get ready. February 2nd, celebrated here in the United States as Groundhog Day. Huzzah! And, uh, yeah, and we <laughs> kind of tend to give a lot of focus to one of the very famous groundhogs we have here in the United States, Puxtani Phil from Puxtani, Pennsylvania. And that is a tradition that dates back to 1886. Those that are unfamiliar, uh, so on February 2nd, people gather around and they watch to see Puxtani Phil emerge from the ground. He's a groundhog. And if he sees his shadow, we are stuck with six more weeks of winter. <laughs> but if he doesn't see his shadow, then apparently we're going to have an early spring. Hooray! Um, <laughs> what? <yeah. laughs> I said, Why are you booing? I said woo. Oh. <laughs> oh. Sounded like a boo. Uh, yeah, this crowd is very divided <laughs> on Boston Phil. <laughs> So it's kind of like sounds like a weird tradition on its surface. Uh, as I said earlier, it does stretch back to Europe where they would celebrate the Christian celebration of Candlemas or Candlemas. Mm-hmm. February 2nd, people would go bring their candles to church for a blessing and this was supposed to get them through the winter. The tradition travels to Germany and the Germans add a hedgehog because why not? The Germans then... just like to tweak all the little holidays, make them their own. Yeah. Of course, when, you know, German immigrants come on over, they bring this tradition with them. Uh, but since we have a lack of hedgehogs, groundhogs will do just as fine. <laughs> Puxtani Phil, though, is not the only groundhog to take part in the celebration. We have quite a few in the Midwest, starting first with Buckeye Chuck. From, where else, Ohio. 
<laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that. Boo. Buckeye Chuck. <laughs> yeah, I figured I'd start with the Ohio ones. Buckeye Chuck just seems like, I don't know, Punxsutawney Phil does not want to be associated with Buckeye Chuck. Like, <laughs> they're cousins, but they don't acknowledge each other. So Buckeye Chuck, he uh, he got his start in 1979 when he was declared the state groundhog. Uh, he's only been correct two times since 2006. <laughs> yeah, as of seems, 2018, that seems right. So not not often correct. Uh, also, the fact that you know we've had the same Buckeye Chuck apparently since 1979. So I did a little investigative work. Uh huh. Turns out groundhogs. In the wild, on average, live two to three years. In captivity, they can live up to 14 years, but so that math just doesn't seem to add up There's to been me. a lassie situation here. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask that when you said Punxsutawney Phil has been around since 1886. I was like, hmm, It's not a name, it's this... a title. <laughs> they're elected officials. But is it like Queen of England? Like, there is a Punxsutawney Phil. You must have an heir. Hand down the crown of <laughs> of groundhogging, or it could be a two hundred year old groundhog. All of these valuable options. Another Midwest groundhog. We have Thistle the Whistle Pig. <laughs> <laughs> you even told me before you were gonna say it, and I still I can't take that one seriously. Yeah, so Thistle the Whistle Pig. A Whistle Pig is just another name for Groundhog, along with, you know, Woodchuck. These are all referring to the same animal. The Marnota Monax, that's the, the Latin term for the Groundhog. Thistle is from Cleveland, Ohio, and she is a newer member to the Midwest Groundhog scene. Yeah, well, you said Buckeye Chuck was Ohio's official... Right, One. he's the state groundhog. Thistle is in Cleveland. Uh, she's at the Cleveland Museum of Natural History, and they started using her in 2016. And they cheat. They use a spotlight. They don't use the sun. Come on. Get it together, Ohio. I was on the fence about including you in the Midwest for a variety of reasons. <laughs> and you are proving my point. Some other... Some other notables around the Midwest, we've got Woody the Woodchuck from Howell, Michigan. Woody the Woodchuck has been correct 77% of the time through 2017 and has been doing her job for about 20 years. Are pretty, so, that's, good track record. Yeah, that's How important that's is the gender of the groundhog? Because I noticed <laughs> that they apparently each have a specified gender. They do, um, and part of that is actually Woody the Woodchuck is one of the few females, and now, of course, along with Thistle the Whistlepig, some of only the few female uh, groundhogs, woodchucks, whistlepigs, that are used for this purpose. Breaking the glass ceiling yeah. of yeah. spring weather predictions. Yeah, And I mean... I'd like to say, the female woodchuck, Woody... Correct, 77% of the time. It's That's more than some of these others. Perhaps the most reliable. Steadfast woodchuck. Of course, being in Michigan, I suppose it would also depend on the definition of winter, as those of us in the Midwest know. You can tell us it's going to be an early spring, and that just means maybe only one more snowstorm before, like, June. <laughs> oh, it, it was 40 here today, and, like, 
children were out in their shorts and <laughs> they were just frolicking. I why do you sound like you should be shaking your fist on a porch? <laughs> Not pro shorts before short season. I will climb down off my pulpit and you can now talk about woodchuck some right. more. I've got, I just have a few more. We got Woodstock Willie from Woodstock, Illinois. And this one's notable because Woodstock, Illinois is where they shot the film Groundhog Day. Oh. Mm. They chose Illinois rather than Punxsutawney. Seems like a little bit of a slap in the face to old Punxsutawney Phil, the magic, the magic warlock groundhog. <laughs> I guess Bill Murray loves Illinois, so. So yeah, this they do a reenactment of the scene in the film where Bill Murray's character is reporting on the groundhog. That's kind of their their ceremony every year. And then we move on to probably one of the more interesting stories that I found in doing this research. Uh, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin has Jimmy the Groundhog. Less creative, but direct. I like it. <laughs> Jimmy started doing his job in 1965, but Sun Prairie had celebrations going back to 1948, um, kind of part of when Wisconsin was celebrating its centennial. They started having some, some festivals and whatnot. I should also note that Jimmy the Groundhog made the news when in 2015 he bit the mayor's ear. I was going to say murdered a man, but that was <laughs> also a violent act, so I guess I wasn't that far off. Uh, and why am I not surprised that Hannah goes immediately for, like, the groundhog murdered someone? <laughs> the groundhog somehow got a butcher's knife? <laughs> Prior to Jimmy doing the job in Sun Prairie, they had another groundhog, Prince Dauphine. Prince Prince. What are these names? <laughs> yeah, Prince Prince. Prince Duffin, he was a former predictor. He he was the predecessor to Jimmy. In 1959, they taxidermied him. There was a big <laughs> ceremony for it. Wait. I like, though, that wait. Like, they're not covering up the fact that like, they keep switching up. No, no, this one did die, <laughs> but now Jimmy's been going since 1965. They taxidermied him and made, like, a thing out of it? Like, everybody came and watched him yeah. get taxidermied? <laughs> or unveiled, maybe. Yeah, I think it was the unveiling of uh, the Unveiling of the corpse. Although, it's... you know, 1959, like, what do you got going on for entertainment anyway? You might as well go watch. Can it be awkward Megan story time? Uh, yeah. We had a taxidermy class in high school what? where our teacher would do taxidermy during class. And he would roll up balls of fat from the animals and throw them at people. And, um, I just... I need someone else to know that that happened. That's how you get, like, swine flu. You shouldn't... Yeah. That's a very small-town Wisconsin thing to happen. <laughs> so it wasn't, like, a squirrel he brought into the classroom, but a whole-ass no, bear? A... Well, it was a small black bear. <laughs> not, like, a cub, Again, but, like, just not a very large black bear. One of the most rural Wisconsin things to say about your hi time in high school. They don't do that at but your college should. prep high school, huh? Uh-uh. No. I don't have your sound, Alyssa. I like that she just got closer to the <laughs> mic. Well, everyone, the groundhog segment is over. <laughs> you had to interrupt with your bear fat story, and now we don't get the end of the groundhogs. I wanted a list of every synonym for groundhog, so we had groundhog, ground chuck, a whistle pig. I think whistle pig is the clear winner there. Can we come up with other... What else? You got a whistle pig, you got a sing-song cat, 
Is that real or did you just make that up? A sing-song cat? No, I'm just yeah. making it up. I think we should name other things so whimsically. Oh, yes. A tap um, dance dog. A tap dance dog. I like that. Um, a kazoo bird. A kazoo bird? Yeah. What's that a nickname for? An actual bird or for like ostrich? Well, ostriches <laughs> are real birds. Um, <laughs> this is my spittle monkey. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Can I just jump back into Prince Dauphine? Yes. So, Prince Dauphine, so he's taxidermied in 1959. In 1962, Uh there is a story that is a fake story, obviously, because we all know he's dead. Prince Dauphine went to the moon in a rocket. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Sun Prairie residents... George and Carl Farwell manned the launch control headquarters at Bob and Tip's Cafe for the Groundhog Rocket Launch. <laughs> Two drunk guys blew up a taxidermy groundhog, is what you're telling me? In 1963, one year later, there was a concluding story that Prince Dauphine the Groundhog returned from the moon <laughs> after a 12-month space mission <laughs> landing in Angle Park where the event seemingly took place in Sun Prairie. So, I think Prince Dauphine wins <laughs> for yeah. best groundhog. No question. He's a national hero. Spreading the word of the groundhog gods across the galaxy. I mean, made it to the moon seven years before <laughs> Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. And came back and was still like, by the way, I was studying the cloud patterns, and I think we're going to have an early spring. So, that is, uh, Midwest Groundhogs. Who knew there was so much behind the humble whistle pig? Who needs Puxtani Phil when we've got Prince Dauphine? (laughs) And the movie Groundhog's Day. Those are the two things anyone needs to ever care about again regarding (laughs) spring. Except I believe that, uh, Megan? Transition! Yes. Moving on to an even sweeter topic. I am going to talk about maple syrup production. Which I think a lot of people are like, oh, Vermont, that is where all maple syrup comes from. Yes, they are one of the nation's leading producers, but the Midwest also has a really expansive history with it. Most years, Indiana, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Michigan, kind of the upper Midwest, will end up making the top 10 for the nation's producers. Sometimes they'll even make the top five. Our climate is just so well suited to it. So maple syrup production, it's peak. It'll start about mid-February because the key is having days that are about 40 degrees and nights that are about 20 degrees. So actually, the day that we are recording is like an ideal day for tapping maple syrup. You got warm days, cool nights, uh, because that's when the sap's going to have its highest sugar content. So we would really want the groundhog to... We want Prince Dauphine to come down from space... And just like as he's his trajectory, <laughs> he slams into a sugar or black maple, preferably, but we'll take a red maple should should the occasion present itself. And he will burst into it for just like a few inches. You don't want to go too deep because the nice thing about maple trees, you can tap the same tree year after year, but you do have to move the tap spot and let the tree heal over time. But kind of like Alyssa was saying, groundhogs, I didn't think it would be something that have been around for hundreds of years, but tapping trees definitely have been. 
some of the earliest documented accounts were in North America, and they come from Ojibwe tribes near Lake Superior. Um, because like I said, our climate is just really favorable to maple syrup production. And they saw animals tapping into the bark and getting syrup. And they were like, seems legit. And sometimes, as we know, Midwest winters are not exactly gentle. So there would be winters where the Ojibwe tribes would survive basically on sugar and bark because that's what they could get. Apparently there's Silicon Valley lifestyle sort of thing that has repackaged maple syrup as like an athlete's low glycemic index sugar pick-me-up thing. And so they package packets with maple (laughs) syrup as a healthy alternative to sugar and all this stuff. I guess that's what you get for not growing up in an area where you could always have real maple syrup on your pancakes where it turns into some superfood athletic (laughs) dietary thing. I mean, we do we do take it for granted because I feel like maple syruping is something that like any ho- hobby farmer can do. As I was researching, it said it's actually better if you're just using like a maple tree in your yard because they're not competing for resources like a forest tree would. They tend to get really big. They tend to stretch out and they get they're not competing for nutrients as much. So their sap gets sweeter and sweeter. You could definitely just walk out into your backyard if you have a maple tree and tap that sucker. Make it happen. <laughs> you might know. Do you know how much actual maple sap it takes to make maple syrup? Or something like one gallon of maple syrup takes like 70 gallons of maple sap. Uh, it's not quite that high. It's about 15 to 20 gallons of sap will give you close to a gallon of maple syrup. So the whole process is you tap the tree, you get the sap, gravity takes care of it. You boil it, to get the refined sugar or excuse me not refined this is (laughs) natural this is the real deal but you're boiling it down so depending on how much you're boiling how long you boil it for how hot you get it that will determine kind of how much you get at the end of your production because ideally you just take a pan you boil that sucker you always want to keep about an inch and a half of liquid in the pan to keep it from burning but you just boil it Get it to 180 degrees, filter it out, and then you can it, and you're golden. I mean, maple syruping is, I shouldn't say super easy, but it's like, it is a very doable hobby for a lot of people. And actually, a lot of the commercialized maple syrup industry that's out there, a lot of them started with hobby farms because it was just something anybody could go out and do. Okay. This is my, like, fun fact. You two are the historians, and you always like, ah, oh, yes, 3,000 years ago, they were inventing tools to do this. And I actually did some research this time about, like, a <laughs> historical story about maple syrup. Do tell. It's called the maple syrup scheme. <laughs> are you ready? The maple syrup scheme. We're picturing you're, you're 1789. The world's a different place. We're all women, so, you know, we're not really in this story. (laughs) Maple syrup was gaining popularity in the U.S. just with hobby farmers because, again, maple syruping time is February to March. There's not a lot else you were doing on your farm at that time. It was just a good way to get food, bring in a little money. But abolitionists like Dr. Benjamin Rush and later Thomas Jefferson get involved with maple syruping and they say, aha! Maple syrup is a better alternative to cane sugar because it's we don't have to use slaves to produce it. And 
Britain can't grow it. Their climate is not conducive to maple syrup production. So their thought was, we will just get every farmer in America (laughs) to tap their maple trees, refine the sugar, and we can beat big sugar. This is going to be a big F you to Britain. We're going to be economically independent. Dreams are going to come true, baby. Direct quote on that one. (laughs) Yeah. As you can guess, that maybe didn't happen because we're not all spooning maple sugar onto our breakfast cereal in the morning. Because if you're all like me, you still eat children's cereal and spoon like (laughs) 10 pounds of sugar onto it. They tried to get all these farmers to do it. And it did pick up, like I said, in the Midwest and kind of out east. But cane sugar, big cane sugar saw what we were trying to pull and just kept dropping their prices. And we couldn't keep up with just a bunch of farmers doing their best. Which is, again, the kind of like a story for America. Yeah, we have a lot of allegories on today's episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were trying to push maple syrup as an alternative to cane sugar. And I shouldn't say maple syrup. They really wanted to boil it down to like sugar for use in, I don't know, everyday life. Some of the things that they said uh, that it would prevent fever. It wouldn't rot your teeth, which is a lie. (laughs) And just like their big thing was, well, we don't have to use slaves to produce it. So it was morally better to use maple sugar. And Thomas Jefferson tried to live the lifestyle. He planted hundreds of maple trees on Monticello. Monticello? I never say it right. Much like his vineyard, he planted many, many plants and they all died. The end. If you call your local DNR office, it's surprisingly easy to do. I encourage you all to go out and try it. I believe in you. You can do this. In the notes, when I do the notes on the episode too, I can include more specific directions. If this is something somebody wants to try on the kind of tools you'll need. But you can really, I mean, we have been doing this for hundreds of years. People would just chop an axe into the tree and so what you really need is a spout a bucket a pan to boil it down in and some filters and jars to make sure you're getting pure maple syrup at the end okay Alyssa, i'm telling you it's the yeoman farmers of thomas jefferson's day i assume they threw an axe as hard as they could at the tree and they're like (laughs) this seems like the best way to support my farm in the winter time I don't know if it's a regional thing, but can everyone pronounce Megan's topic real quick? Maple syrup? Maple. <laughs> One at a time. I just, I also just went through puberty while saying it, apparently. <laughs> maple syrup? Or maple sugaring? Alyssa? Uh, maple syrup? Okay, yeah. I say maple syrup, too. Megan, you're a syruper. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, but I also say, like, pillow... My mom's from Iowa. My dad's from Upper Michigan, like Uper territory. So I had weird influences growing up, too, (laughs) linguistically. Growing up, my family from up north told me that I had a southern accent. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, you need to travel more. (laughs) How are you saying maple syrup? Syrup. There's syrup, syrup. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a sear or sir, basically. A little fun fact that I didn't, I wasn't totally clear when I was going through the process, but the time that you know it's time to stop tapping your trees are when the buds burst. 
So the second those little buds start to unfurl, their beautiful leaves, <laughs> your sugar content's going to go way down. It's all going so into just, making those little baby leaves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then you're just kind of left with sap rather than the sugary goodness. Do you think it was maple syrup that went over the mosquito in Jurassic Park and made that movie possible? <laughs> I mean, I guess amber is tree sap. Yeah, you don't know what kind of tree sap it was. I think the Caribbean islands that they're excavating on, it probably ah, wasn't a maple That's where cane tree. sugar comes from. No! Well, cane doesn't produce resin, <laughs> we've, so we're we've fine. We've invested again. <laughs> oh, tell your, tell your maple syrup story. You said you had a story. That wasn't, air quotes, related to child labor. I mean, it might be, but not mine. Strong lead. (laughs) I work in a museum. One of our artifacts is a sign for maple syrup, so I posted it to be like a cute social media thing and drive engagement with our themed content because that's... Because you're in marketing now. Not really, but I try. So You're in a nonprofit. (laughs) You do every job ever. That's true. So one of the things I asked is like, oh, does anyone, you know, in our county tap maple trees? Tell us about it. And one person said, we tapped our very first maple tree this year, and we're really excited to try it out. So I thought that was cool. They're, like you said, it's very easy to get yeah. into. And then another person commented that they're the third or fourth generation on their family farm that have been tapping the That's same awesome. maple trees for just decades. And yeah. yeah, it's just a tradition. People do it for themselves a lot of the time, though mm-hmm. I have also had local minnesota maple syrup before yeah it's one of those cool things where everyone kind of knows about it but it's also a local indigenous food that has this long history so i like that you kind of got all those different aspects of it with your your chat well thank you (laughs) yeah because there's there is definitely a history to it but i love that it's a very low barrier to entry like literally anyone can go out and do this i know good friend of the show amanda Her brother just kind of decided to do it as a hobby, and within, I think she said within like three years, he had 50 trees that he was tapping. You can upscale very quickly. Oh, and I can't believe, thinking of her brother made me think of this, which we're going to have to have a talk about later, I guess. Um, When you're boiling off this uh, sap to get to the real sugar, syrupy goodness, it can create a lot of smoke. It's not something you want to do in your kitchen. You want to do it like outdoors over a flame. <laughs> or a lot of people will build their own sugar shacks. You know, you store the syrup out there before it's ready to be processed. Then you're boiling it out there. And as the steam is evaporating, it can get really it can get really steamy in the sugar shack. <laughs> I don't know about this new Megan persona. <laughs> Sorry. I am doing too many voices. If someone asks you to go in a sugar shack and they say it like, sugar shack, don't go. It's probably not a innocent maple syrup sugar shack. It's more of a B-52s <laughs> situation. <laughs> Which, while fun, maybe not what you're game for. Sugar shack, sugar shack. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. That's, I do many voices. Uh, no, I don't. I do like a British, a vaguely British voice, a radio DJ, and a creep. I don't have a B-52s impression of I didn't know your creep was different than your radio DJ, which apparently shows what I think of radio DJs. <laughs> the radio DJ is like high energy. Hey, hey! 
And then the creep is just a little lower. It's a lower register. So it could be the radio DJ in his off hours. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't built out these characters yet. Hey, Alyssa, can you sing the B-52's Love Shack, but say Sugar Shack instead? They use Sugar Shack in that song, don't they? What? Sugar Shack song. There is? Hold on. Uh, Hannah, you might have to, like, sneak this in at the end. Well, probably shouldn't for copyright. I mean, no one's noticed that I put in smorgasbord. (laughs) But I feel like that probably isn't a high-priority content ID situation. (laughs) My niece is reading. The dogs love it. Gee, Hannah, how come you have never heard of this song before? It's clearly from 1942. Who's it by? Jimmy Gilmer and the Fireballs. So is he singing about actual Sugar Shack? I don't take this lightly. They're talking about necking. I think they, they also refer to that as watching the submarine races. <laughs> is that just like a Manitowoc euphemism? <laughs> I mean, they weren't building submarines where I grew up, so that wasn't a common point of reference. Just down at the dock. Let's go watch the submarine races, darling. <laughs> Have we talked about Hannah's thing? Did I miss no. that? No, we were waiting okay. And they actually have oh, weird connections to both of yours that was unexpected. Both to Thomas Jefferson's grapevines dying uh, and well. Prince Stuffing's space exploration as a weird 1950s folkloric addition to the Midwest I historical I am very case. intrigued as to how <laughs> these two things are tied together. So I do have a... A little bit of a wind-up before my reveal about how Prince Duffine and Thomas Jefferson tie into my spring topic today. They've both been taxidermied. <laughs> no? All right. Wait, was uh, Tom, you, did you just say Thomas Jefferson was taxidermied? Yeah. Oh, oh. Haven't you Oof. Uh, been Oof. on the tour? You know the Hall of Presidents <laughs> in Disney uh, World? Anyway, back to Hannah's story. Not even back to my story. I just realized in the notebook that I used for this, I happen to have <gasps> a maple leaf. It's a sign. I have a pressed maple leaf in my podcast notebook. It's a very pretty maple leaf. It is. I have so many. I assume that's why you pressed it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so we're talking about spring transitions. Okay. What happens in spring? Hey. <laughs> What are you doing? What are we doing? Hi. Please include at least one of her dog interruptions. I'm trying so hard (laughs) to keep it together. It's going to be a lot of work for you to piece this one together. Uh, Trying to just like get, oh my goodness, trying to get him to like calm down. How can he be calm? We're about to learn what Prince Dauphine, the stuffed hedgehog, and Thomas Jefferson, the stuffed president, <laughs> have in common with Hannah's topic of... Dauphine was definitely a groundhog, not a hedgehog. <laughs> no, it's great. None of that was factual. So so I like to be the arts and culture person on this podcast. So obviously I want to jump into some cultural history. And for signs of spring, that can be a little tough. And one of the things that you might think of is St. Patrick's Day. It's in mid-March, and at least in the Midwest, that's still like very beginning of spring Mm -hmm. and he is important chicago has a big festival 
United States St. Patrick's Day celebrations go back to the 1700s, so another long-standing tradition. And I just wanted to cover real quick some of the Chicago traditions and how they got started, specifically dyeing the river green, which lots of places do, and I think it's weird, and I've always been curious about how it started. It turns out, for Chicago, it started in the 50s with Mayor Richard J. Daley, and they were using green dye to track pollution in the river. Uh So they had diet green so they could see how stuff traveled, rubber. And the mayor was like, huh, that looks great. Maybe we should do this on purpose for a holiday. This very polluted river looks amazing. (laughs) Let's celebrate an important religious figure. So in 1961, they got some people from the Chicago Journeyman Plumbers Local. So good union representation there. He saw one of his coworkers in coveralls that had been dyed completely green by, again, this chemical used to track pollution. And he also thought, huh, that looks pretty cool. Wait, pause. The coveralls were dyed completely green or the person was dyed completely Uh, green? The account I saw just said coveralls. The one can imagine that if your clothing is dyed green, that your skin might also be. That's going to rub off on you. They're going to have streaking. Wait, they're going to be streaking? Yes. Alyssa, I don't know if you've ever been to St. Patrick's Day in Chicago, but... (laughs) Uh, So they got together and decided to do it on purpose for St. Patrick's Day. They didn't really know what they were doing, so they put way too much in and dyed the river green for an entire week. (laughs) And then after doing it for a few years, they realized that they were also killing a bunch of the wildlife that was actually left in the river by using this chemical dye to dye it green. So they now use a vegetable-based dye that's measured, and it's safe to go. It was when (laughs) Prince Dothy... Came down from came the space. <laughs> he was like, on my journeys, I have discovered this thing called vegetables. I know you don't eat many of them here in Chicago. I've seen your pizzas. Try this. <laughs> Once you get out of Chicago, no one really cares about St. Patrick. St. Patrick's a foreign tradition. We imported it. We messed it up so it's so far off from what actual Irish people would ever do to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. So Minnesotans had the great idea to just come up with their own saint and celebrate him the day before St. Patrick's Day just to kind of stick it to the man. The fact that Minnesota is very, like, Scandinavian heavy. Yeah, I just feel like it's Minnesota Scandinavians going, take this, Irish. It wasn't quite the Scandinavians. You're close. It was the Finns. Who decided to do this. So this is our other weird 1950s made-up Midwest folklore, like Prince Dauphine going to the moon and coming back. Man, what did the Midwest, what were they doing in the 1950s? Just making stuff Yeah, there's not a whole lot to do in the winter. So you sit around (laughs) and you decide to make up a Catholic saint. Oh, he's completely made up? I thought you meant like, oh, we made up the holiday, but no, nope, this isn't. Not even a. There's no. Okay. <laughs> no precedent okay. for this person at all. So, St. Patrick was known for driving snakes out of Ireland. These Finnish Minnesotans decided St. Urho drove the grasshoppers out of Finland for attacking <laughs> those famous Finnish grapevines. <laughs> That's where it connects to. Uh, just to note, no basis in fact at all. Uh, originally, the story was about him driving frogs out of Finland, and I guess that was just too far-fetched, so they switched to grasshoppers. Obviously, it wouldn't be frogs. I love this, and will celebrate it religiously the rest of my life. By drinking grasshoppers. 
There is a lot of drinking. Because, again, this was set up in direct competition with St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, and I think whoever invented it was definitely drinking. <laughs> it's recent enough where there is actual documentation about how all of this got started, which awesome. is basically people were bored in northern Minnesota in the mining area where there's a bunch of Finnish ethnicity. Huh. There is some debate. There's two people that kind of claim it, and one of these is very stereotypically Finnish name, Sulo Havamaki, which is like... Chef's Kiss, Finnish name in northern Minnesota, <laughs> in Bemidji. And then Richard Matson, so again, a kind of Scandinavian Nordic name, nope. um, from Virginia, Minnesota. So I just want to clarify, if I'm talking about Virginia at any point in the rest of this episode, I'm referring to the town in northern Minnesota and not the state on the east coast. Hannah, you definitely just slipped in a Minnesota. <laughs> just, just need to point I that out. I grew up along the Mississippi where the Wisconsin-Minnesota accents mix, so I'll it's, probably... It's the well, topic, yeah, the, I'm, yeah, I'm the Minnesota... I might be slipping even further into the extremely rural Midwestern accents I picked up as a kid. It's fine. Lean yeah. into it, I say. And I'm going to be, as I'm trying to pronounce Finnish words, which kind of have that oh and bouncy sound that you get in the rural Midwestern accent, well, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so get ready, listeners. <laughs> this is getting better and better. So, St. Urho's Day was actually originally on May 24th, and this is when I say they intentionally made it to mess with St. Patrick's Day, because at some point they're like, you know what, no, March 16th, day before St. Patrick's Day, we're going to beat them out <laughs> and do this on purpose. St. Urho drove out these grasshoppers by shouting what is essentially translated to, grasshopper, grasshopper, go to hell. Yes! Can't oh say God, I'll pronounce I love it so much. So you get this made-up Finnish man screaming at grasshoppers to just get the hell out. This is like how I spend my Saturday. <laughs> Mildly drunk, yelling at whatever will listen, get the hell out. I once took a Finnish folklore class, so this is as close as I'm going to get to using that. There's a whole poem written about St. Erho by Richard Matson in a fake Minnesota version of Finnish. I am so glad we are closing with this story. It's so good. <laughs> I was so excited about this because St. Erho is like one of my favorite things. But I am going to attempt to read this poem written in a Minnesota Finnish accent. So forgive me for this. St. Erho, forgive me for I know not what I do. This is Ode to St. Erho by Jean McCavick and Richard Matson from Virginia, Minnesota. Uksi kuksi kulamavi, Santa Urho is to poi for me. He sets out the hoppers as big as birds. Never before have I heard those words. He really told those pugs of green, brafis fin I've ever seen. Some celebrate St. Pat and his snakes. Put Urho poika caught what it takes. He caught tall and strong from filia sour and ate kala moyaka every hour. That's why that koi could say toast petals. What crew is thick as chuck by needles? So let's give a cheer in our pest way on 16th of March, St. Orho's Day. I want that tattooed on my back. That, like, it's just a thing of beauty. I love it so much. I did have to read it a couple times before I figured out what some of the words were, because like I said, they spell it out phonetically in a Finnish Minnesotan accent. So that koi 
is that guy because the K and the G and some of the language shifts. So uh, I recommend looking it up and reading it out loud to yourself. Oh, I will. Or maybe in front of friends and coworkers. My office will be celebrating St. <laughs> Earl's Day. Uh, it's on a Monday this year. Uh, I Perfect. do have a board meeting for the statewide museum board that I'm on. <laughs> so I will be serving some traditional St. Erho's Day treats. What what does one eat on St. Erho's Day? Well, obviously grapes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say grasshoppers. So. <laughs> There's a variety of celebrations, mostly around the Midwest, though this has become a national phenomena. How could it not? It's delightful. There are places that do downhill barstool races. Which you screw some skis onto a bar stool and race them down a hill. Uh, You can also play golf. So like I said, with the that guy, St. Urho, the G and the K get mixed around. So golf becomes golf. But it's also golf because you're outside on a frozen lake. Because it's Minnesota in March. And that's the flat surface that you have. You can play cribbage. Which Alyssa's okay. not here to react to that, but Alyssa's a an little more avid cribbage subdued player. than some of the other options. Yeah, dance polka, sure. which is a normal thing across the Midwest. I love it. And then you get into some other stuff that's less common. You can eat something called moyaka, which is just a Finnish soup. Like mm-hmm. I said, you can eat grapes. One place plants Cheerios as donut seeds. You this can... is my new favorite holiday, and my birthday's on the 4th of July. <laughs> I mean, I think you can plant Cheerios as donut plants any time of the year. But it doesn't have the same oomph yeah. to it. You can drink purple beer, again, to compete with St. Patrick's again. Day. No green beer, purple, only purple beer. one of my favorite colors. And a lot of places have parades, some of which include... People going down and stuff, handing out treats, or where I grew up in the dairy area, cheese sticks, they hand out grapes, but going behind them are men dressed as grasshoppers, (laughs) acting like zombies, trotting behind them going, grapes, grapes. Uh, That sounds terrifying. Terrifyingly awesome. There is a video, and I... Did not write down who it was. I want to say, like, Vice went out and did a documentary on this. So look it up because it's We will great. be sharing that in on the website and anywhere else I can put it. And if you want to hear more accents, even more severe than mine, <laughs> go listen to that. There's people dressed in, like, purple boas. It's, it's wonderful. The world can be a really dark place, but just know we have St. Erho's Day and there's still fun in the world. St. Erho's Day has been recognized by proclamation in all 50 states. What? Technically an official holiday across the U.S. Uh, And then there are real, actual celebrations in Minnesota, obviously. In the UP, so in Michigan. Vermont, actually, so another tie with maple syrup. Uh, Vermont, just get your own (laughs) Stop. Yeah, stop stealing. Vermont really wants to be maple just syrup, wants to be in the Midwest. cheese, yeah. St. Erho, yeah. progressivism. Yeah. We got all of that. <laughs> Weird that they went purple beer and not wine, seeing as grapes are a key element of the story. I'm going to say again, this is northern Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Not, not big wine drinkers up that way. I feel like wine was involved with Santa O'Brien, though. No, that was hams. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> That's a very distinct memory for me, is walking out of Alyssa's apartment and just seeing hams cans scattered across the sidewalk. 
And there in the bushes was Santa O'Brien. Uh, Have we covered Santa O'Brien? Um, I need to clarify. I need to clarify that the hams cans did not come from my apartment. <laughs> yeah, they were just directly outside your window. There are a lot of things outside that sketchy window. For our listeners, Santa O'Brien was this, like, stuffed Santa doll. Well, it was, it was a leprechaun, but it looked oh, like yes. the vintage 1950s Santas with that creepy plastic face. But he was dressed yeah, in it, green. It, it was, yeah, but he had like a Santa beard. Yeah. Obviously, we adopted him. We made him our own. So Megan and I had stayed at Alyssa's house, and we walked out to find these hams cans, hams beer, and Santa O'Brien, this creepy doll in a bush. Megan mm-hmm. and I walked towards where we lived, and we went past another friend's house, where we climbed their porch so we could put Santa O'Brien on their roof above their door. Yeah. And then left him there for them to find. So then we all worked together along with this friend where we deposited Santa O'Brien. So then the next day, like, walking to work, I see Santa O'Brien is no longer on the roof. I get to work and I'm like, guys, what happened to Santa O'Brien? Forgetting I had named him and not told anyone that I named him. So they're like, what the heck are you talking about? Santa O'Brien, it seems pretty obvious to me. This <laughs> leprechaun slash Santa Claus, Santa O'Brien. You know, I should have shared St. Urho's Day then, and we could have made up our own Catholic saint with Santa O'Brien. Saints right in the name already. Santa O'Brien Day! We missed out. We could have started a cult. We can do March 18th with Santa O'Brien. <laughs> It is yet the patron saint of hangovers. That was like that was in the summer, right? Because it was because it was before we were like, oh, it's not hippie Christmas. No yet. one else is gonna know what hippie Christmas is either. How do you not know about hippie Christmas? That's a specific thing, Madison thing. Just in case this stays in the episode, which I am on the fence about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hippie Christmas is what we call a day in Madison where all the leases end. And no one can move into their apartments until, like, two days later for some bizarre reason. So everything just gets put out on the curb. If you don't want it, it just disappears. Because all the children come out and they just rummage through the trash (laughs) to furnish next year's apartment. I mean, we found couches and tables and... My favorite find was two plush kiwis, like the birds, that someone had clearly brought back from a trip to New Zealand, and someone else decided the gift wasn't worth it and dumped it out on the sidewalk. I mean, hippie Christmas giveth and hippie Christmas taketh away. <laughs> but I do think we need to start Santa O'Brien Day. We have to somehow figure out when that will be. All of our listeners, 2021, March 18th. Santa O'Brien Day. How do they celebrate? Hannah, go. Uh, everyone has to drink a can of hams to commemorate his birth from the bush. <laughs> you have to go and dance around a bush while drinking a can of hams. And, and you must place an effigy of Santa O'Brien in the bush. Or on your roof. On March 17th, you must place Santa O'Brien in a bush. And then on March 18th, you must move him to you your roof. to the roof. <laughs> The dear friend to bring them luck in the new That's year. That's true. That's true. You don't have to drink the hams. You do have to at least make an offering to Santa O'Brien, though. Yes. Yes. Does it have to be hams, or could it be like lots? Or a very nice craft beer made in the Midwest. Yes. 
a nice microbrewery. Yeah, near you. Support local business. <laughs> you may not involve any corporations on Santo Brian Day. You must only shop local. I love that. So you have your marching orders. Um, happy spring, everybody. Happy Santa O'Brien Day. March 18th. Thank you for joining us as the transition from wintertime cabin fever to government-mandated social isolation made us desperate for signs of spring. Please let us know your favorite synonym for Groundhog and what kind of holiday you'll be making up this spring. We would also like to thank Cola, an artist from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for releasing music under Creative Commons licensing. You've heard their song, Till It Last, in our intro and right now. This podcast is also released under Creative Commons. Share and share alike. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Midwest is Best Show. You can also check out our website at midwestisbestshow.wordpress.com. Fall fast and slow, twirling, whirling all around.